Raised the Jolly Roger with a slick double play. And oh, what a stop, Hayes! There's one! Oh, zip, zap, kazoo! The Buckos just turned two! Ground ball, left side, picked. Oh, Castillo, a pretty play on the first, and a double play! In between hop, and now throwing toward third base, a pick by Hayes! Oh, my goodness, what a play! Key Brian Hayes and Michael Chavis turn it into a double play! Welcome to episode 42 of the 412 Double Play Podcast. Today is April 2nd, 2023. We have baseball games that count again. The Pirates are playing almost every day for the next six months. couple games already in the books, which, of course, we will talk about in a minute. I am, as always, your host, Michael Castrigano. Joining me, my co-host, Ed Wassel. Ed, baseball season is upon us once more. How are you doing today? How are you feeling about all this? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm excited. We got some games that actually count again. Uh, outcome wasn't what we were all hoping for this past couple of days, but you know, a lot of promising stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And we're definitely going to get into that. Let's start off with the roster roundup. So leading off uh, opening the season, left-handed pitcher Harlan Garcia placed on the 60-day injured list with left arm nerve issues. Right-handed pitcher Robert Stevenson to the 15-day injured list with right elbow inflammation. He has been rehabbing already with the AAA Indianapolis Indians, so should be back in short order. They did have right-handed pitcher JT Brubaker sent to the 15-day injured list with right elbow discomfort. Uh, outfielder Ryan Valade designated for assignment. Finally, seemed like he was always on the cusp all offseason. And then catcher Jason DeLay and left-handed pitcher Rob. Zastrinsky were added to the 40-man roster to open the season, but then today, Brubaker has moved to the 60-day injured list as the Pirates added right-handed pitcher Edwin Uceta off waivers from the Tigers. So it seems like Brubaker's injury is not going to be something that is going to be fixed anytime soon. And the, the fact that he went on the injured list was so surprising. He did have some of those home run issues this spring training, but at the same time, he, I think he struck out like 23, 24 and only walked three. Like he was leading grapefruit league in strikeouts. Did you at any point in time see or, or notice like any injury issues with him? No, like you said, if, if you took away the issues with the home runs and he looked outstanding, uh, I didn't see at any point where it seemed like he was hindered by an injury. So I don't know if that happened at near the end of his last start or it could have been, you know, just during training. But there was nothing that stood out to me that indicated he was hurt out there. Now, we talked to a couple guys about what the rotation potentially was going to look like. Oviedo, Johan Oviedo seemed to be the odd man out or at best the sixth man there with Brubaker being out indefinitely. 
at least for 60 days, it seems like Oviedo has been slotted in with like a, a every fifth day. He's already slated to go tomorrow against the Red Sox. How do you see this kind of ripple effect um, impacting the rest of the other rotation options? Uh, I'm probably more concerned about the bullpen use because I know we had issues with that last year with not having starters go, you know, deep enough into games. Now we're down one of our main starters. So unless yeah. we we bring somebody in, I don't see like an early season call up for any of our top prospects at this point. But the do have that a- sixth man would have been nice, at least early yeah. on. Yeah, we do have a lot of games in not that many days, only two days off this month. It seems like there is at least the possibility that one of Luis Ortiz or Michael Burroughs or even Caleb Smith, who recently was added to the rotation in Indianapolis, will be called up if it's needed. Hopefully not Caleb Smith, but... I think that Ortiz and Burroughs have both shown that they're ready. And we'll obviously talk about the down on the farm segment in a little bit. But let's let's talk about our weekly recap, the, the three games that we've seen so far. So opening day with the Reds on Thursday, Mitch Keller, he looked really sharp at times during the game. Eight strikeouts, four walks, six hits. He did only last 4.2 innings. Bullpen really shut it down after he came out. Dari Moretta against his former club uh, shut out, I think, 1.1 innings. Rob Zastrinsky in his first opening day, very good. Colin Holderman and David Bednar shutting it down for the 5-4 win on opening day. O'Neill Cruz looked excellent. Big home run, but he also walked twice. Looked solid in the field. Uh, Kutch walked three times. G1 Bay got two hits and stole two bases. Team small, small, excuse me, small balled their way to a win. It's one of the few times I felt afterwards that Shelton managed a good game. I didn't feel that way as much the rest of the series. So Rich Hill took game two. He had a rough start, giving up three runs, two home runs, including a two-run shot from former Bucko Kevin Newman, of all people. And this came on the heels of the Pirates forcing red starter Nick Lodolo to throw 39 pitches in the top of the first, only managed a single run out of that. Hill lasted five innings with just the three hits from the first inning, two walks, seven strikeouts. But then Shelty brought in Chase DeYoung. It was a 3-2 game at this point. It's far from over, but DeYoung really struggled badly, giving up a three-run shot, which was the final nail in the coffin as the Pirates lost 6-2. Jose Hernandez made his MLB debut, allowing just one hit in his inning of work. Carlos Santana had two hits and scored a run. Uh, O'Neill Cruz had two more hits and drove in a run. Possibly should have been credited with the stolen base, but I believe it went down as a wild pitch. I think he was running on the pitch anyway, but... Whatever on that. And then rubber match Sunday with Vince Velasquez on the mound against Graham Ashcraft, who was lights out, touching 99 on his pitches. V-squared looked good early, but seemed to run out of gas by the third or fourth inning. He was really missing his spots left and right. Also notice that while Velasquez has a strong mix of pitches, and we had talked to Mackey about that a couple, uh, maybe a month or two back, he was almost exclusively fastball slider in the game. I think of his like 80-some pitches, all but nine of them were fastballs or sliders. 
So that was odd. I don't know if there was something like he wasn't really feeling it with the other pitches. He did get burned by a couple home runs that would not be out in most parts, uh, most parks. But the big thing was that the bats just disappeared. Uh, Reynolds had allowed home run to center. Kutch and Joe each reached base twice, made excellent catches in the field. But they just need to get a little bit more depth from the offense as the Pirates lost the final game of the series three to one disappointing opening. What were your thoughts going into the series as far as like how they would fare against this team? Well, I, if I'm not mistaken, the Reds were one of the few teams that finished with a worse record than the Pirates last year. They have the same record. Okay. Yeah. But I was, I was really hoping to take at least two of those games. I mean, you know, first series of the season, you'd never really know what's going to happen. It can, it's cold. Everyone's just coming up from Florida. Got to adjust mm-hmm. to the weather. But, you know, disappointed in the outcomes. But like like you had mentioned, Cruz had a good series. Uh, Kutch looked strong. Just even, like, what do you get, like seven or eight walks in that series? He was walking constantly. He had three ridiculous. walks in game one. He had another one today. I think he had one or two yesterday. So um, he's top five in the league for walks so far. Uh, for the first game, it was nice seeing uh, Cruz and Bay. Seemed like they worked really well together out there. Uh, Bay looked good at the plate. Not quite sure or much of a fan at where they're batting them in the order, but. Oh, oh with Hedges nine. Yeah. Yeah. They they had Bay eight and Hedges nine in all three games. So that was a choice. Um yeah, some of the, the um positioning in the batting order, and I'm sure that's subject to change. Like Kutch, they've batted three today, and he's not the power hitter that he used to be. But he's still getting on base a bunch. And then O'Neill Cruz is batting one. Seems like maybe you could flip those guys and, and make it work. And then the thing today with Ashcraft, they had a lot of righties going against him, despite the fact that he's a right-handed pitcher because he had reverse splits last year. And I, it was small sample size, and I, I tweeted about that. And I was like, you know, why are they, you know, CSN wasn't in, uh, and Connor Joe was. And Joe had a good game, but... Uh, Choi was DHing, and that would have been like Kutch would have been DHing with if CSN was in the outfield. So I was just surprised on that. And another thing, CSN typically has pretty long at bats, and the uh, Ashcraft went seven innings today. And the Reds have a really bad bullpen. They showed that on in game one. When um, I don't remember the his first name, but something Cruz uh, came into the game and then like kept walking in runs. Yeah, he had a hard time getting the ball over the plate. Like, yeah, it seemed like everything he threw was in the dirt. So, if you want to have a shot at beating the Reds, you're going to be have to beat their bullpen because Lodolo, Ashcraft. They were both really good the past two days. 
So I, it, it is frustrating to lose two of three. I feel like coming out of that first game, we definitely had a shot there. But um, just, and then let's go back to like the choices for this rotation. So for, I really expected that Rich Hill would have the first game in Boston because he's familiar with pitching there and it would kind of be like a homecoming for him. But Shelton made the choice to have him as our number two guy, which is fine. I guess, you know, that works. And Velasquez, number three. And he looked, like I said, good early on, but really proved why he's more successful as a reliever than a starter today. And then we've got Oviedo going tomorrow and Contreras as like the fifth. I don't know if that's because of like Contreras needing time to build back up. But, you know, even if he's throwing side sessions now, how much is he really going to be built up for the season by Tuesday? Yeah. It's one of those Shelton mysteries. We never really understand why he does some of the stuff he does. But, I mean, hopefully he gets it together because this is going to be a big year for him as well. Yeah, he's definitely on the hot seat if he doesn't make some big improvements. And games against teams like the Reds are games that you kind of need to win. And April, we've got a lot of games that we're not expected to win. So it'll be much more interesting to see how he fares against that. Um, with the White Sox series coming up, they finished, I think they were above 500 last year. And then they, we've got the Astros. They were above 500 last year. Even the next series that we have against the Red Sox in Boston, they were not great last year, but they're still a pretty good team. Yeah, they play in one of the toughest divisions of baseball. So, Yep, after the NL Central, obviously. <laughs> sure, we'll, we'll go with that. So I don't have like a specific special this week, but I just kind of wanted to talk a couple games into the season, what we like so far and what we don't like. So of like the play, uh, what you've been seeing, hearing, experiencing, what do you like so far about this team? Uh, I can't speak for all of the uh, players at bats, but it seems like at least the veterans are taking a very patient approach at the plate for the most part. You know, with Kutch drawn all those walks, mm-hmm. uh, Joe usually strings out decent at-bats. Uh, Santana is known to be patient. Uh, so I'm liking that, that we need to get those pitchers throwing more pitches. And I guess just see, like seeing the excitement of the younger players out there, whether it be Bay with Cruz. So that's my biggest thing. See, I'm actually on the opposite side. I feel like like Bay had some of the longer at-bats today. And the, I guess it was Thursday's game, he had the bunt hit that went to second. And it was just basically a pull bunt. It was very, I've been saying he's very much like Ichiro, where he can get an infield single and just leg it out to first. But he also slapped a double down the left field line. And I feel like he's just a guy who's, able to hit to all parts of the field while also having long at-bats regardless. Like he had at least an eight or nine pitch at-bat where he ended up striking out. 
He had um, another competitive at bat where he went like five or six pitches and I think grounded out or something. So I'm really liking that. O'Neill Cruz, you see it like within a plate appearance where he'll be facing a lefty and the lefty throws a slider that he, he like half swings at. But you know, like July of last year, he would have been doing full swing at that. And then he would have full swung two more times in that same plate appearance. And the next pitch, he sees that slider and it's in more, but he's seen it once already and it's still off the plate and he, he doesn't even go for it at all. Like the, the adjustments that he's making at the plate and in the field, like at shortstop, he's he's had really strong, accurate throws over to first. So I'm I'm loving the um, advances that he's making. Like that's a big thing for Cruz. Everyone's joking, like, oh, you know, he's gonna have 40 errors this year. The shortstop for the Nationals that they got from the Padres, I, I can't remember who it is, but Abrams, Abrams, CJ Abrams. He had like three errors in his first game, and I think he went over five or something like that. I'm like, well, he's he's not that guy, you know. I think Cruz has been putting in the work to be proficient defensively and it's really showing up. And I'm happy with that. Uh, On the pitching side, I don't think we had any strong performances. I think Keller got some really good swings and misses, but he was also really inaccurate. I think he walked four, struck out eight in that game. Let's go back to my notes and see what I, put on yeah, that I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that's what you had down there yeah four walks and eight strikeouts so he was a little bit wild maybe like the nerves were getting to him but overall he, he was looking pretty com- comfortable pretty confident um didn't look well, like the moment was too big for him a few of those at bats where he ended up giving up hits he had him in a, in the, a real good pitcher's count it just yep couldn't quite get that last one to, and, and a lot of the hits that they got off him were really weak contact. Like it was just the home runs. Give up two home runs, right? Now I got to go back and look at that too. Um, those those had pretty strong exit velocity, but and the triple he gave up a two run triple in the fifth that drove him out of the game to Fraley, I think. I'm I'm not going to go learning the Reds players. I just can't. I refuse. But um, no, overall, he looked really good. Um, was Even like the home run, it wasn't a poorly placed pitch. And I think that was the same way with Hill. There were some times where Hill was kind of missing and laboring a little bit, but he mixes up so much with like, a velocity, the difference between his 68, 69 mile per hour curveball and his fastball, which is like 86. And he's changing up the arm slot. Sometimes it's like a, a complete overhand. Sometimes it's like he's basically a sidewinder or something in between. And I'm like, that is so weird. How do you get comfortable with doing that and be able to uh, consistently execute it? Yeah. Like you said, at least the one home run that Keller gave up was on a good pitch. Sometimes you you know yep. you throw the pitch you want where you want it, and the batter just hits it. There's not much you can do about it. I mean, it doesn't help that it's you know basically a little league field, and the wind was blowing out. 
most of the home runs this past three game series would not be home runs in Pittsburgh. And they kept saying that like, oh, you know, this home run went two rows deep into left field. And in PNC Park, it would be in the dirt of the infield. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm, yep, that sounds right. Yeah, this is a this is a very small park. Well, so Cruz's, Cruz's home run would still would have been a home run. Cruz Cruz's was legit, and Reynolds today was legit. His went four ten, but one of the Reds' home runs was like three sixty five, and another one was like three ninety or something like that. And I was like, okay, that maybe would have cleared. Um, so, so what were some things that you didn't like things that are concerning for you from the past couple of days? Oh, I got to think, geez. Well, I already mentioned, I didn't care where they had Bay batting. Okay. You know, all of us keep saying, oh, he's a prototypical leadoff guy. And right. We have a batting, batting freaking eight. Yeah. If, if you're going to have him as like a pseudo leadoff guy, and want to bat him ninth, that's fine. But if they're batting him in front of Hedges, there's no point. <laughs> like, if there's two outs and Hedges is up behind him, there it doesn't matter if he gets on. Hedges is not... he. And the, the first game, he had like a sacrifice bunt, and uh, that was part of the some good gameplay, but oh, Hedges just looks lost at the plate all the time. Feel uh... bad for him. What else? I'm trying to think. Like, other than just you know the outcomes of the games, I wasn't super upset about a whole lot. Yeah, I felt like they the past two games they were being a little too aggressive. So they had Lodolo early in game two, with almost 40 pitches in the first inning. I think they made him throw 19 in the second inning, and then it was like 16 in the third inning, and they really had him on the ropes, and he still lasted five innings. Like, you guys got to get him out earlier than that. Um, Hayes, I think, is pressing too much. He's still getting great exit velocity. Like, I mean, he was last season. But he's clearly trying to do too much in those those moments. And he got squeezed a couple times with, like, strikeouts. I think in the first game, there were two that were off the plate or very much borderline that were called for strike three. And he got, you know, how guys kind of get in their head about it. Yeah. So I, I think that became frustrating for him. But um, I'm trying to think of like anyone in the bullpen was concerning. Vince Velasquez, I'm worried about his ability long-term in the rotation. The big thing for him was that he throws a lot of different pitches. He threw... Let me see if I still have it pulled up. I do. 86 pitches, 42 were fastballs. 35 were sliders, seven changeups, one knuckle curve, and one sinker. So, you know, he has five pitches, but if he's not going to be throwing them and throwing them effectively. Right. That's one of those things where, you know, even for a guy that has three pitches, say it's fastball, slider, changeup. Yeah. If you're at the plate, you know, you all you see all the numbers these guys get pregame and stuff like that. You know, he only throws his changeup two percent of the time. I'm already crossing that off the list of something I'm looking for. Yeah, they're basically just looking fastball slider. He's essentially coming in as a relief pitcher, so 
And then he right. wasn't able to locate after the third inning, he wasn't able to locate the fastball. I think I'm pretty sure it was the fastball he was kind of all over the place on. Actually, he wasn't locating either one, but that could be troublesome if you're only using two pitches, basically. Yeah. So in that case, if one's not working, they're sitting dead red with the other one. And he with both of them, I think in the fourth and fifth inning, he was missing bad. And that became a problem. You can't find success being a starter doing that. So Keller, I think, will bounce back. Hill, once again, it, it's a freaking bandbox, Great American Ballpark. Some of those home runs were just like, they flicked them over the wall. Even like Newman's home run, I think, may have, like it, it was a legit home run, may have been a home run in PNC, but it's not, like most of the home runs there were just not great. You switch the home ballpark, completely different games. Also, the wind was blowing out. I was talking to uh, Josh from Bridge to October because he went to the home opener. Well, the opening day, I guess, home opener for the Reds. And I was asking about, because they showed a graphic in the one game where the arrows are going all over the place, signifying how the wind is. And it's basically like a cyclone in the middle of the field, indicating like all the different areas that the wind's blowing out to because it's just all over the place. I was like, is that how it was when I was there? He's like, man, I didn't really know, but it was windy. He's <laughs> like, oh, oh, neat. <laughs> That's... Um, so it's it's kind of like a, a weird vortex in Cincinnati. I don't expect we're going to have that kind of situation when we head to, up to Boston. And certainly won't be that situation when we're back in Pittsburgh this weekend. Yeah, but all right. Well, let's talk about some of the youngsters down on the farm. We only have the Indianapolis Indians in action so far. Altoona is back Thursday, and then I think Bradenton and Greensboro start their seasons on Friday. So, but looking at the Indians, as we talked about last week with Jack McMullen, they are the squad to watch. So they were unfortunately swept in the series by Omaha. Luis Ortiz had a great but abbreviated first outing, three and two-thirds innings, one hit, three walks, four strikeouts. Mike Burroughs pitched today, five innings, two hits, one run, two walks, one strikeout. Mark Mathias is looking really good early on. I think that's kind of been a common refrain that we've been saying, that he can get the bat to the ball. Uh, Endy got a home run on the first pitch he saw. Nick Gonzalez hit a home run today. There's been like... Bits and pieces, the, the main issue has been the bullpen. And uh, in Saturday's game, Caleb Smith was awful. He, I think he gave up like five runs in three innings or something like that. But um, today, J.C. Flowers imploded. Uh, I think on Thursday or Friday, it was Geary, De Los Santos. He gave up a bunch of runs. It's concerns about whether or not the... Uh, shoulder issues he was having last season are kind of carrying over. So Indians are starting 0-3. They've got the day off tomorrow and be back at it on April 4th. But any takeaways from the Indians games? And I mean, it's exciting to see that Gonzalez is getting into action. Yeah, I mean, the only 
game I really saw, not I didn't get to see any of it, but that I really looked up was the first game. And that, you know, they jumped out to a quick 5 nothing lead in the first inning, I believe. Yeah, they sent 10 guys to the plate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Indy, or Indy doing what Indy does, starting the season off with the home run on the very first pitch. And like you said, it was just, you know, the bullpen imploded on them. So. Yep. Um, like a lot of the offensive pieces are really interesting. Now, something that it, it's kind of like us learning by omission because they released the roster for the Indians and some names are not there. We talked to Corey Geiger a couple weeks ago about Leo Verpiguero and how he'd benefit from going back to Altoona. Looks like that's where he's headed because he was not on the Indians roster. But another one, Mason Martin did not make the Indians roster. So it seems like he'll be heading back to Altoona. I don't think they have like a designated first baseman. So that might be just a playing time sort of thing with Malcolm Nunez slated to get more starts in Indy. And he's looking very good. So I'm excited to see him. Um, Kyle Nicholas also was not on that roster. So it seems like he'll be going to Altoona for hopefully starts. But uh, I guess we'll find out when the rosters are announced this week uh, on that. Yeah. uh, I don't want to say I'm not surprised with Martin, but, you know, his production has not been anywhere near what they were hoping for. And with Nunez being there. Yep. You, you want him to get the reps. So, yeah. And, and you can't even say like, oh, you know, put him at DH because you have so many different players who are potentially competing for that. Like Endy, when he's not catching, they've got Tyler Heinem in there and he caught game two. But Endy could potentially slot in for DH. Aaron Shackelford, he's in there. He's going to be uh, trying to get playing time. There, there's just a bunch of different guys that you'll be rotating around. Mason Martin with his 30, 35% strikeout rate and sub 10 walk rate and like 210 batting average. That's just not going to play. Right. He's, he's just not homering enough for that. So I have not been a fan of him for a while. I mean, you know, you cheer for any of the guys in the system, but with the understanding that, you know, maybe some guys are going to make it and some guys aren't. I'd say more guys are not going to make it than they are, but. Yep. So let's look ahead to the games we've got going on. As I said, we're heading to Boston upcoming series for three games. Johan Oviedo takes game one against Cutter Crawford. Rowanzi Contreras will man game two against Nick Pavetta. And then Mitch Keller for the last game of the series against Corey Kluber. So let's start with that series. What? How are you feeling about that? Uh, I don't even know what the Red Sox record is right now. Could not tell you how they did in their first series. One and two, I think. Or maybe they might be two and one. I know they gave up a ton of runs, though. I could pull that up quick. I'll look it up. Give me your predictions for that series. Well, I'm going to start off by saying that uh, Cutter Crawford has a pretty sweet name. <laughs> <laughs> and it's spelled with a K. 
So it's like, yeah. oh man, did his parents is, know? He was born to be a baseball player. Yeah, Red Sox are two and one. They they won. Uh, they played the Orioles. Yeah, I think there was an season. error that uh, gave the Red Sox one of those wins. But, Maybe. Yeah, but what what I they've given up a lot of runs, but they've also scored a lot of runs, so that could be concerning. But hopefully, you know, this could get the offense going for us. Uh, you know, Kluber is basically a shell of what he once was. Yes. I don't I, know really anything about Crawford, to be honest. Outside of his name? Yeah, outside of his cool name. And, uh, I mean, Pavet is still good, but we're going to have one of our better pitchers going against them. So. Yeah, he's he's their five. And Contreras is arguably our two, so if you think about it in terms like that. Yeah. No, I... I, I want to say that the Pirates should take two two games out of that series. That's the hope. I right. I mean, I honestly, there, go into, but. there's the potential that they could win all three because I think we've got competitive pitchers going each time. And like, I, like you said, I don't know anything about Cutter Crawford, but Pavetta, formerly a Philly, not great. Kluber... He gave up five runs with four walks in 3.1 innings of work in the opener. So, you know, he's maybe not great. So, but I mean, they've got a number of offensive weapons. I'm hoping that Oviedo, Contreras, and Keller are up to the task. So you're predicting we win two of three? Yeah. I think if Shelton goes out and plays the guys that he should play, like I think CSN should have been in the lineup today. He has long at bats. He is able to hit for extra bases. He's able to walk. Um, so if you're going to say two and one, I'm going to say uh, three and oh, I'm going to say we somehow sweep the series. Wow. Is that your bold prediction for the year? That's going to be, you gotta, I don't want to say for the something. year. You I just, I just, so you have to add a new one. Yeah, I know. Oh my God. <laughs> we record on Sunday, Monday morning, the news comes out that Brubaker's going on the injured list to start. And <laughs> Ed immediately texts me is like, so there goes your prediction. Nice going. I'm like, our episode just dropped. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that'll be my bold prediction for this week. Because I feel like White Sox or the Red Sox will be riding high coming out of taking two or three from the Orioles, and um, you know there, there were some close games. They high scoring games. Yes, I they, said, scored... they gave up. They gave up a lot of runs, but they scored a lot of runs. The Red Sox scored nine runs in each game. They lost game one ten to nine. They won game two nine to eight, and they won game three nine to five. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. All right, so <laughs> heading back home for this weekend. Home opener on Thursday. Thursday, right? Is it the 7th? No, I thought it was Friday. Friday's the 7th. We have the day off on uh, Thursday. Good. So Friday is the 7th, and we will have Lucas Giolito facing Rich Hill. 
Game two is Mike Clevenger against Vince Velasquez. And then game three, Michael Kopech against Johan Oviedo. So I'll be honest, I don't like those matchups. No, Giolito seems to have the Pirates number. Like, Well, he had the no-hitter against us two years ago. And I think he almost had one last year. No, we wouldn't have faced him last year. It was in like 2020, I think that. Or no, 2020, 2021. Whenever we faced him last, he had the no hitter against us. I thought we faced him last year too. I could be wrong. I don't think we would have. I don't know. Either way, definitely not too happy about that. Clevenger, I don't know. I mean, he was really good prior to getting injured. Uh, and then sure. he had the off-season issues, which I—I I don't know if you had heard about that. He—he he was uh, reported by his girlfriend slash like mother of his child that he assaulted her, and then rubbed used chewing tobacco on their infant baby's head, and he has since been cleared of all charges. Yeah, I mean. That's definitely some pretty disgusting allegations. Yeah. But I, mean, I immediately was like, wow, that's horrible. And that's then ba- it's basically what they are until you can prove that it was done, I guess. It's just such weird. Like, why? And this is kind of getting off topic, but like, why would she say that specifically weird thing if it didn't happen? I don't know. It, it's it's a it's a weird situation. Clevenger's got the easiest matchup of the three going against Velasquez. I think we we assume that he is not going to go five innings, unless the White Sox just completely punt on that game. So Bad. I'm picking I'm picking we win one of three, which is you know obviously not optimistic, but you know I'm going to be coming off a three and zero Red Sox series, so I'll be okay with us finishing four and two on the week. All right. Well, I'll be a little more gutsy and say we take two or three in that series as well. All right. Also saying we go four and two on the week. It would be kind of silly if we go and lose two of three to the Reds who lost a hundred games last season. And then we go and face the Red Sox and the White Sox and win four or six. It'd but be I hope silly, it but it'd be, it'd be cool. <laughs> it would be really cool. What did the White Sox just do? Let me look at them. They face the Astro, and I think they split the series. Yeah, they split the series with the Astros. Oh, boy, and they scored a bunch of runs. I just don't understand why we didn't score more runs in this series. It was just a lot of, like, weak contact and frustrating at-bats. All right. Um, any other final thoughts on the current status? Oh, we didn't get into the regional sports network thing, which we had talked about before the call. Uh, well, there's not a whole lot to get into with that. I have no idea. So the deadline allegedly was March 31st for uh, Pirates and then, you know, also the Astros, Rockies, Mariners. 
to negotiate their production rights. And uh, that data's come and gone, and AT&T Sports is still producing the games. So with the Bali Sports, they are currently going through bankruptcy. Unrelated, because they're 14 regional sports networks that do not include the Pirates. But AT&T Sportsnet, it seems like they're kind of in a floating deadline. I'm not sure exactly on that, but it seems like we're just going to be in the dark about this because nothing's been announced. Um, I, I don't know. What what do you what are your feelings on it? <laughs> Us being so in the dark about what's going on. Well, you know, my feelings is I want the regional thing to end. I'm tired of being in a blackout area. Yeah. Unable to watch games. Uh, other than that, just some answers. You know, I think everyone wants answers. How, how are people going to be able to watch games this year once this all unfolds? Yeah, hopefully something comes out in the next week. We're, I'm going to have to start pressing on some people with this. Uh, the other thing, <laughs> I'm, I'm just kind of remembering stuff as we're getting ready to wrap up the Reynolds contract discussions have kind of been a little bit more open. So people I talked to said that it was very close. And then kind of like, as they were getting ready to like settle, the agents came to the table and said like, Hey, you know this, Hey, you know that. So right now it looks like they're at seven years. I think it's like seven or eight years. 106 million. I don't have the figures in front of me. What uh, I think Mackie had posted about it, and he's he's been on top of it, so he must be talking directly to someone in the room, which makes sense. 106 million, seven or eight years. Um, I but, think it was eight, but it was including next year that he's already under contract. This this season, it's including this season. But the, the issue was that he wanted an opt-out after the fourth year, which, if he opted out, would only gain us one more year of control because he's already under control for three seasons, including 2023. So the concern was, and if he didn't opt out, that means that he is either, A, if you're looking at it through you know rose-colored glasses, he's just so happy to be with Pittsburgh and will settle for a lower payout because he's still performing at that point in time or B he's not performing and is just going to take the big payout of $106 million over that time, especially if it's a backloaded contract, which, you know, discussions are suggesting that's what they're leaning towards. And I don't really know how that's going to all unfold. There's been no movement since, I think, like Thursday, Friday. So what are your thoughts on that? It's unprecedented to say, like, oh, we'll add one more year, essentially, of control, setting the price. But if they change it to a mutual option, I think it would be okay. But just having it as a player option, I think, puts a little bit too much control with Reynolds. I mean, obviously, a mutual option would be ideal. 
but it's one of those things where he already came down like $30 million from his original ask. Yeah. But and why does he hoping... want the opt-out at all? If the whole thing was he wants security, he's got, you know, his wife and his well, two he young wa- kids. He wants security, he wants to win in Pittsburgh, but, you know, I'm sure he's also read about after the 2015 or 2016 season where nutting basically just folded the entire team and gave everyone away. So, you know, you you don't want to be locked in long-term right out of a rebuild and go into another rebuild. But that's where the no-trade clause comes into play, and that's reportedly something that was discussed, and I don't know if that was dropped or if that's still something that... Well, that doesn't really come into play as a no-trade clause. As far as wanting to stay... Well, that's the thing. If he wants to stay, if it's like a, you know, Joey Votto's got 10 and five years at that point in time, Reynolds would have 10 years with the team and he'd be able to like say no to any trade. Right. But I think that would be more of not wanting to get traded to a dumpster fire team if he's not performing. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't know. It, it, I, I, I feel like if the team is contending at that time where that opt-out would be, I don't think he's going to exercise it. I think he'd, he'd be more, this is personal, I think he'd be more than willing to stick around and compete with the team. Maybe. If not, Dylan Cruz will be ready to step right in. and Dude, Dylan Cruz... <laughs> We've been so good at staying away from the um, discussions of potential Reynolds extensions. And then this news came out the other day, and that's just all I was texting you about. Like, oh, yeah, this, this, this. And you're like, dude, come on. <laughs> We're so good at But Dylan Cruz, uh, I can't wait until we get close. Between him and, who is it, Dolander, the pitcher? Yeah. but on, Also on LSU? Cruz would have to completely fall off the map to not go number one. I believe I just read an article about him where it said he can go over 60 for his next 60 plate appearances and still be at like a 380 batting average. Oh, yeah. He's batting like 580 <laughs> with like a triple slash line of 2000 something. Yeah. It's, it's, he's nuts. And the, the, so the, the reason that comes back is. If you were to say, hey, my 1-1, I can either get the best position player available, which is undoubtedly Cruz. And once again, we're projecting this out because we've got, what, three and a half months until draft day? Roughly. So we're going way off the rails right now. <laughs> um, so you say, okay, player A is the best position player available, and he will have the chance to impact the team on a daily basis but only once every, you know, nine plate appearances and only however often the ball gets hit to him in the field. Or we could take player B, who is the best pitcher available, and he can only impact the game every five days as a starting pitcher, but every pitch, he's part of that impact. Like, who has more value at that point? It's really tough to say, but, I mean, historically, if you look at contracts, pitchers your starters typically get the, the bigger contracts. So starting pitchers or starting position players, starting, starting pitchers. I think about it. Verlander just got 
what, 40 some million a year? A year, yeah. You know, you, Scherzer was way up there. Yeah. You know, Cole, Cole's deal when he signed it was really high. So, yeah, it's personally, I, I would want to take the guy that's going to play five days a week, not one out of five. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll get into this more when it gets closer to draft time and we'll break down like the top five options. It's fun. It's so fun having that first overall pick again. This is going to be exciting. But yeah, got... hopefully it's to last for a while. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Unless not we somehow win the lottery. Barely fall off the playoff. We could. We could win the play- the lottery again for next year. But, all right. Well, that wraps it up for all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at 412 Double Play. Follow Ed at Ed underscore Wassel. Continue listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else you get your podcast. And from all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast, thank you for joining us. And let's go, Bucks. Let's go, Bucks. Let's go, Bucks.